Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the eighth series, the first episode of the eighth series of Have We Got Planning News For You. I say that twice because I can hardly believe that having started this as long ago as 2020, we are still meeting and producing this show. And it's an absolute joy to see my fellow panellists, at least two of them, uh, at any rate, uh, at the moment. And uh, also uh, Richard, our our guest, who we'll come to um, in a moment. I would like to begin by saying um, that it's unlikely that we're going to see Charlie uh, because he's in an inquiry. And so I'm afraid you have to put up with me. My name's Mary Cook. I'm a partner at Town Legal, and it is my pleasure to be hosting this evening's show. I'd just like to start by reminding you, our audience, that we started this show in lockdown, and we did so on the basis of trying to raise money for charity, and that is still one of the things that we seek to do. And so we encourage our listeners to donate to uh, either a charity of their choice, or we suggest the Save Me Trust Uh, the National Energy Action Charity, which seems particularly appropriate uh, uh, going into uh, winter given events, and also Shelter, uh, a charity which is near and dear to our hearts. Um, And so I'm going to uh, kick off, if I may, uh, by going, first of all, to our guest and asking him, Richard, to introduce yourself, please, and to tell us where you are speaking to us from, what you are drinking, and what your chosen theme is for this evening's show. Uh, uh, hello, Mary. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. I, I'm, um, uh, as you say, I'm, I'm, I'm the editor of Planning. Uh, I'm speaking to you from my home in Rygate in, in Surrey. Uh, I am drinking um, uh, in line with my theme because of the, the colour. I'm drinking... Um, uh, I'm not never sure how to pronounce this, but Staro Premen uh, Lager. And um, my theme is uh, the colour gold, because this year was Planning Magazine's 50th anniversary. That's great. That's fantastic. Um, I say cheers to that. Uh, and I, I mean, it, it is not only Planning Magazine's 50th anniversary. We've also just had the 50th uh, Oxford joint planning law conference. So you're not alone in your 50th um, anniversaries. And indeed, in next month, I'm going to be celebrating my 35th wedding anniversary. I want you all to realise that I was a child's bride, but this is an anniversary year for me. So, Paul, how are you? Where are you speaking? Where are you speaking to us from, and what are you drinking, and and how are you celebrating this this theme? Well, f- firstly, I'm I'm speaking to you from a hotel in Croydon, where the choice of luxury hotels is legendary. Um, so once again, I find myself in a hotel room. Uh, I would be drinking the beer that I I brought all the way down from the north. I bought this last week. It's called Vindelander, bought from Twice Brewed while I was halfway across my sponsored walk uh, across Hadrian's Wall last week. The problem is they don't have a cat, a, a thing to open the damn thing in this particular hotel. It's that classy. Obviously, they only uh, open things that you you buy from the hotel. 
Um, and in terms of what I'm doing, I'm doing an inquiry down in Croydon, um, but immediately hogtailed it straight out of my inquiry once I got the theme to find something gold. And I thought I'd be stumped. But it turns out I'm replete with gold things in Croydon. Golden syrup. Oh, wow. That's really impressive. Gold. Uh and some sort of gold um, wrappy, sweetie thing. And best of all, golden curry cubes. I have a pile. So I've, I've excelled myself in terms of golden items. And the uh, poor woman at Sainsbury's thought I'd gone completely balmy when I filled my uh, in my basket with all that. So thank you, Richard. You've really cheered me up. Oh, that's a great, I, uh, great shout. Absolute great shout on the golden theme. Um, and good afternoon, good afternoon to you, Sasha White KC. And I'm going to say something about the KC in a minute. But Sasha, how are you? Where are you? Um, I don't know. No, I do know. I've just legged it back to my inquiry in Suffolk, and I'm now in Hampstead. So I'm returned to London, and I I'm absolutely furious with Andrew Strauss and the worst review of cricket ever today. How can you not have test cricket in August? How can that be sensible? But apparently the great and the good think it is. Point one. Point two, it's about to be the 20th anniversary of Landmark Chambers, which was founded early October 2002. So... That, that is a happy anniversary. I'm glad. So I'm happy to join the Joint Planning Law Conference and Planning Magazine and celebrating something this month. And thirdly, I just I want to say how lovely it is to be back after a significant break for for us all. And obviously we were we were right. Mary, you had the foresight back in July to know that it wouldn't be right to start last week because of certain very, very significant and consequential events. Yes, well, in in in, in fact, um, let, let's just talk about that for a moment because uh, we delayed the start. In fact, initially we delayed the start because we didn't want to clash with Oxford's fiftieth conference, um, and uh, uh, and then of course we had our uh, um, the very um, momentous, historic, uh, and sad loss uh, of our queen, and. From my point of view and the point of view of our audience, I mean, one of the things that um, there are many things that flow from that. But one of the things that's personal to you, uh, Paul, Sasha, Chris and Charlie, is, of course, you changed from being Queen's Council to now King's Council. And that must seem a little uh, strange for you, having spent all your life so far being QCs, you now become KCs. I was going to say, you introduce yourself with a heavy heart now at inquiries when you say KC rather than QC. It feels completely wrong. My difficulty with it is my spell checker, because each time I put my name in the spell checker, it now comes up as Paul Tucker KFC, which perhaps tells you about my eating habits. So sorry about that. Um, uh, no, I was just going to say it was very strange after doing this for some years to have a decision. I got a decision letter yesterday. I'd appeared in since the change, and it's very strange. You eat, look take a double take seeing KC after so many years of it being QC. Mm, I, I've indeed. got a quiz question actually for our audience and I don't know the answer. Does anyone know if the late Queen ever attended a planning appeal or inquiry? Was she ever shown one on one of her visits somewhere? I wonder. No, but I, I once found uh, myself um, at an inquiry where someone spoke uh, and in fact it was a lady with a very deep voice and if I closed my eyes I thought it was the Prince of Wales, the then Prince of Wales, now King Charles, 
and I really struggled to contain myself. It was extraordinarily difficult. Good evening, Chris. Young, evening. Mr. Young, uh, you, are mo- you are most welcome. Where are you joining us from? What are you drinking? And I, have you been able to make any contribution to the anniversary slash golden theme? Okay. Yes, to all of those points. I'm in Guildford, uh, where I'm doing a three-week inquiry uh, with uh, Hashi Mohammed and Scott Stemp and uh, Charles, Charles Struton, and uh, we're in front of Inspector Gareth Jones, and having a lovely inquiry. Um, I have had my Australian nephew stay with us this week, and uh, so I've got some Bundaberg, but Golden. it's only it's only it's only ginger beer because I've still got some cross examination tomorrow. Um, and uh, as for anything kind of golden, I just took this from the hotel reception. They'll be missing that. It's a it's a wow. golden, it's golden a, orb. It's a golden ornament. <laughs> I'll put that back later. And then I thought fifty. How can I get? I've been up and down Guildford High Street, and then I remembered. Of course, I am fifty. So my contribution to celebrating fifty is me. <laughs> Thank Actually, you very should, much, Chris. We should set we should set Richard the test. Could could you try and get hold of a, a copy before the end of the show of the fifty of the first edition of planning and what was the headline? No, I don't want you to move from your seat, Richard. So you you can you can ignore that. You can ignore that. Now, in the absence of of of, of uh, Charlie, can I just say to our listeners that the Sandown Park appeal, which is the uh, dismissed. Uh, Greenbelt appeal that he was going to deal with, you will find uh, on our website. Um, so you'll be able to get, get hold of that. And can we, without further ado, uh, Sasha, invite you to deal with the Lambeth Waste called an inquiry, please? Absolutely. And I hope Rob might put it up if he's got it. But basically, I'm doing with here we go. Yeah. Now, this is an interesting appeal for various reasons. It's obviously reasonably hot off the press during our summer recess. And this involves a effectively provision of a new building and associated hard and soft landscaping. But look at it. Use of the site as a metal recycling and management facility. Uh, so it's quite interesting in the current climate, trying to deal with energy and also sustainability, recycling and management facility. Now, As you can see, the inspector recommended the appeal be allowed and the Secretary of State will notice who made the decision. Minister of State for Housing, Marcus Jones, on behalf of the Secretary of State, made the decision to endorse that decision. So this is dealing with a grant of permission opposed by Lambeth, notwithstanding, uh, well, Mary's familiar with the myriad of geographical problems in South London, but West Norwood does sit in Lambeth. Lambeth is the council. Now, The important points to take away from this are provision of waste disposal facilities. And I think what's really important is overall, the inspector does conclude that this did accord with the development plan and the additional waste capacity. Uh, Lambeth have a capacity deficit in dealing with their waste, probably like almost all London authorities. And in this case, the inspector considered that that was a moderate um, benefit of the proposal. And also there would be local employment and biodiversity benefits. Against that, there was a concern about the increased traffic through the local streets. And interesting, and I think one of the most interesting areas of currently of the law is the Equality Act and Section 149 and how that's dealt with. And some local residents advanced the case that there would be harm 
to certain groups affected by that with protected characteristics by imposing a development of this nature. The inspector basically didn't find that the proposal would naturally and materially worsen the living conditions of those residents with protected characteristics. So for those of you involved in the public sector equality duty, this is yet another case which deals with that really interesting subject in the context of planning. So overall, uh, quite an interesting, well, very interesting decision. And I, I think, and I'm going to flag up, I think in the light of what's happened in the past three months with energy, this is a proposal that will continue. This kind of proposal will only get greater in the planning system over the next two to three years as people seek to make us self-sufficient in energy. Mm, thank you very much, Sasha. Paul, over to you. You're going to talk about the Stockford appeal. I am indeed. This is a decision uh, by Inspector Woodwards uh, on the last day of August, uh, who allowed uh, consent for 181 dwellings, uh, including an integrated care village, which was C2, and extensive parkland. Um, the inquiry had taken place in May and June uh, of this year, and somebody called Christopher Young uh, Casey acted for the appellant successfully, uh, Alex Grease for the local authority. Um, interesting in terms of numbers of witnesses, this was a, a substantial inquiry in terms of numbers of witnesses. I think Chris called 13 witnesses, or certainly 13 witnesses are listed on the uh, appearances. The authority called four, so 17 witnesses with a plethora of issues. Um, although there was only two main issues cited by the inspector, that was the five-year housing land supply issue and the effects on the character and appearance of the area, including landscape, albeit it wasn't uh, a designated landscape or a valued landscape. Um, character and appearance issues always tend to be site specific, um, but I think the takeaway from this was the inspector was very clear, clearly impressed by the extensive mitigation uh, that was provided by the nature of this particular scheme, uh, notwithstanding what uh, the inspector described as substantial built form on previously undeveloped land, and particularly drew attention to uh, woodland within a key woodland gap between two villages and concluding no coalescence. Um, there was, there's also an extensive section in this um, appeal decision in relation to need in a number of different res respects. First of all, affordable housing need. Um, there was nine in excess of the 30% policy requirement. Um, and the inspector uh, said that uh, they, that uh, the inspector only gave it uh, only moderate positive weight, which frankly is rather odd given the evidence that was put forward um, and looking at the findings in relation to affordable housing. The common approaches for most authorities with a deficit to attribute substantial weight. Find it quite difficult to understand why that's the case. The C2 uh, assessment of need was also quite interesting because in that one, the inspector treats it almost like a five-year housing land supply approach and assesses the requirement, assesses the pipeline, and then assesses the deficit and identifies there's an immediate need to meet that deficit and therefore concludes significant positive weight in respect of it. Um, and then also gives significant, sorry, gives moderate positive weight to the 18 self-build plots. Going back to the affordable housing, it's a bit odd to give the same weight to affordable housing in the context of extensive need as you do to self-build plots, but that's maybe a different pattern for another day. The other takeaway in relation to this appeal is the fact that on the five-year land supply debate, which is clearly hard fought, um, the conclusion of the inspector was it was 4.97 years supply. And the inspector addresses the fact that it comes in just below the five years uh, and says, yes, that weighs in relation to what weight you give to the uh, market housing that's provided, but is forthright to say, you don't just then pretend that it's five-year land supply, the presumption is engaged, and this is an authority failing to meet the minimum requirements of government. 
And it seems that those three elements together outweigh the impacts and the character and appearance. It is a classically balanced decision of the sort that we used to get shortly after the MPPF in 2012, but there's been a period where we've seen fewer and fewer of them. So hard for interesting case, but it really does demonstrate why leading evidence on need uh, uh, bears fruit. Thanks, Mary. Thank you very much, Paul. And Chris, you're going to take us to Welland Garden City. I am. I am. And uh, thank you for that, Paul. Well done to Russell Gray and the team there. They did uh, a very good job on what, as you say, was finely balanced because the plan had recently been adopted. So the inspector had to be brave. He had to grant planning permission despite a recently adopted plan. Right. Uh, well, I continue the theme of being the publicity agent for various junior barristers in other chambers. So this is an, a Zach Simon's appeal. <laughs> And uh, Zach has been back to Wellard, where he likes to roll around in the green belt. But on this occasion, he was promoting um, nearly 300 residential units um, on a on a brownfield site. It was um, an appeal by the HG Group against Welland Hatfield. That's an interesting authority, isn't it? In terms of uh, the local plan, but that's for that's for an entire episode. That is. Um, and uh, we've got um, uh, a proposal which was allowed by Michael Boniface, the inspector. Now, if we go forward um, to have a look at some of the uh, other paragraphs, um, main issue was design, character and appearance. Uh, as you can see, it was a large commercial industrial building that had been vacant for some time and there was no dispute that it was suitable for residential development and of course uh well in Hatfield uh it was going to be a draft allocation the site was proposed for 250 dwellings uh, in the emerging local plan um in an area known as the shredded wheat quarter more of that later uh and uh an early 2008 council adopted document setting out a vision and a master plan so you wouldn't have thought it could really go to appeal would you <laughs> it's allocated for about the same number of houses on a brownfield site but you know well in Hatfield thank you for keeping the planning bar going it's terrific um if we move forward uh and um Look at the inspector's compliment here. I think Zach's clients could be rather pleased with this. The appellant's evidence carefully and convincingly sets out the design um, uh, and following its arrival in arriving at the scheme, subject to this appeal and assesses the effect on the townscape. The height of the proposed buildings is comparable to those under construction in Broadwater Road West. So a very careful and convincing analysis of design. And this was justified because some of the development was nine stories high. So um, it did. it's not as easy as it looks, this appeal. Uh, there was a need to justify the scale of the development. If we just go forward uh, in the paragraphs again, um, we get to uh, what I think uh, is the most fascinating bit, which is the uh, reference to the shredded wheat factory, which is grade two listed. <laughs> uh, who'd have thought a cereal production company would be responsible for listed buildings? The former has been converted into residential use, and so it was the relationship with that um, and uh, obviously a sensitivity around that. Uh, we just go forward again. Uh, and uh, what the inspector says, the heritage assets do not stand alone in splendid isolation. They now stand close to large urban centres and views of buildings. Remember, we covered the uh, appeal in respect of um, Hampton Court Palace. The inspector saying there, just because you can see it uh, doesn't mean there's harm. And also, 
it's not the traditional landscape that some of these buildings might have been associated with, um, although I don't think there is a long historic history of 19th century shredded wheat factories. Um, and what the inspector said was that it was perfectly acceptable in terms of its uh, heritage context. If we just go forward again, um, this is also very interesting. Uh, Welland, of course, is a garden city. We hear lots about that. And clearly a lot of local people gave evidence um, about this. Uh, he says the garden city principles upon which Welland was founded set out in the Town and Country Planning Association referenced during the appeal. Important principles that guided the inception and successful development of the city. Um, and in paragraph 50, local people spoke passionately about Welland Garden City, and it was clear to me that there is a great desire to protect it and maintain the principles upon which it was built. Wouldn't that be great if we bought some, built some new garden settlements and people could feel similarly uh, a great desire to protect them? Um, we just need to move on, politicians. Uh, but he said, you have to remember the city has got to grow and meet its modern needs. So he was perfectly prepared to accept this um, development. And um, if we just move forward, then we can see the appearances. Well done to Zach and uh, Isabella. Uh, yeah, well done. Good, A good, successful outcome. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm just about to start my interview, but I, I just couldn't help um, commenting. We've had an anonymous attendee. Uh, we do love this anonymous attendee. We, we always speculate as to who it might be. Far be it for me to, uh, ex uh, uh, to um, tell you what our ideas are. But I absolutely love the idea of calling us now KC's and the Sunshine Band, uh, which is the suggestion there. Uh, and thank you very much, Phil Bell, for your kind comments about my 35th wedding anniversary. Right. Now then, Richard, you are the first journalist that we have had on the show. And I, I think this is uh, notable. Uh, I also think it's extraordinarily timely, bearing in mind uh, we are, uh, are poised uh, with our new prime minister, having had a, a long summer of uh, campaigning. And so it seems like a particularly good moment um, to have a journalist on the show. And so welcome. I'd just like to just introduce you to our, our readers. Um, you became, as I understand, the editor of Planning Magazine in 1997. And I'm interested to understand what your background was uh, and how you got into journalism and, and in particular uh, the job at, at, at Planning um, and should I be calling it planning or planning magazine or is, is the word magazine now considered defunct? No, no, we still we still use that. Um, we still use that term, although, you know, increasingly what we what we do is is um, is online online. Um, but, um, uh, you know, well, thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, it's fantastic to, to be here. Um, but my um, my background uh, was uh, I did a history degree at Lancaster University um, my first real job was at a, a, a sort of a very dusty corner of Reuters, not being a foreign correspondent, I, I'm, I'm afraid to say, but um, summarising um, summarizing other people's news stories about um, things going on in construction. Um, I then had a series of jobs in various business-to-business -business and uh, consumer magazines, including... Um, uh, 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 well, I was on a magazine called Turf Management for five years, and was then um, uh, and then uh, there was something about turf management that 
persuaded the company that I worked for, which also owned Planning Magazine and still owns Planning Magazine, to um, to offer me the job on uh, on planning. And, and, and turf management is nothing to do, is it, with betting? Probably <laughs> not. It is. It is to do about. It's to do with grass. Ah, ah. Okay. And I understand that actually. Um, from, from our previous discussion, I understand that it sounded, sounded to me anyway as if you had a great time going off to visit various cricket pitches, um, uh, uh, golf courses, and, and you must have had some rather good site visits during that job. It was, uh, it was somebody who liked sport. It was, you know, it was, <laughs> it was, a, it was a, um, yeah, it was great. You know, you could, um, uh, there, was, there was sort of no... Um, you know, there, there were endless options for yes. um, uh, visiting uh, visiting great sporting uh, uh, venues. Uh, uh, you know, admittedly, when no sport was going on, but it was uh, you know it was good. Um, so, tell us a little bit more about planning. How, how many readers do you have, uh, and how how has your publication and readership changed over the years? Um, yeah, so we have um, we have around six and a half thousand paying subscribers um and uh that breaks down and i think it probably has always been very similar in terms of how it breaks down it's 40 percent public sector 40 percent consultants 10 percent developers 10 percent lawyers very broadly um and i mean in terms of how it's changed over the years it's uh you know we the, the, the big change when, when I joined in 1997, we were a weekly magazine with no online presence. Um, obviously, that's changed hugely. And, uh, you know, we've gone and, uh, you know, the website was launched in the early, early 2000s. Um, I, I should say that um, there was 10 years when I wasn't on the magazine. I was on a, on a sort of sister magazine called Regeneration and Renewal that some of um, the audience, I, I, I hope, will remember. Um but um, it was, uh, uh, but yeah, you know, we, we gradually we've gradually moved into more and more frequent, um, uh, more and more frequent online publication with daily bulletins, um, uh, you know, a podcast now. Um, you, uh, you keep everybody informed in terms of headlines, don't you? Well, that, that that's that's the idea. You know, what yeah. we what, yeah. what we what we want to do is is you know keep people informed of what's happening and what it might mean for them professionally. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, you are in the business of obviously disseminating planning news. So I wanted to start by asking you um, some questions about what you expect our new prime minister to do with planning, because I think our audience will be most interested in this. She's obviously made some comments during the electioneering uh, which were very widely um, published in our world, um, but um, you know, but she's also made it very clear that growth, economic growth, is absolutely central, dead center. It seems to me, in terms of her uh, agenda. So, what what are you expecting uh, Liz Trust to do? Um, in particular, is she going to remove that tar- three hundred thousand target? But what do you expect her to do, Richard? What are all the signals you're picking up? Well, I mean, you know, uh, uh, we we've um, we, we've probably um, read and heard similar things. But I mean, very broadly, 
the broad thrust seems to be that she wants to find ways of pursuing growth and she is is, um, is talking a, a, a good game about pursuing growth by um, uh, loosening and uh, loosening planning and environmental controls in in, in some places um, but she seems very keen with a with an eye to an election you know potentially you know in, in the next couple of years um, she seems very keen to do it in a way which uh, it, where this happens only in places where councils want it or where there's local support um, and obviously there's been a lot of talk in the papers this morning about her plan for investment zones which we might I guess we might want to talk about later if we're thinking about you know other people in the government who, are, who have also got a, a an interest in this because obviously it's going to be the centerpiece of the mini budget on um, on Friday but um, it, you know that it all seems to be about trying to, to you know, um, uh, achieve some kind of economic stimulus, but get rid of the things that cause um, that have a heavy political cost, such as the housing targets, which, as we all know, she's described as Stalinist. Um, you know, it's not right necessarily to describe them as housing targets, but the um, you know, the standard method of assessing housing need. Um, she, she she's telling MPs that she's going to make it harder for for planning uh, for planning inspectors to override local authorities. Um, when we talk to people about that, it, we're a bit baffled as as to what that means because it seems to be uh, saying we're going to make basically saying that we're going to make it harder for for planning inspectors to enforce government national planning policy. But um, but I think people have suggested that this is about this might be again something that is a fairly sort of minor adjustment of the way um planning inspectors deal with soundness tests and uh, and, and local plan examinations um she says she wants to build up more in cities she and she said that she um she wants to change the rules to make it harder to use high value agricultural land uh, for solar farms um I think the um, I think one thing to take you know out of it is that there's a she has um, she's made a lot of reassuring noises to um, Tory MPs or, or Tory members who are concerned about development, but she has there have been some interesting elements to some of her messages. I, I think it's quite interesting what she's the way she's talked about new communities and and uh, suggested that her investment zones might allow the creation of new versions of Saltaire or Bourneville, which is, um, I just thought that was quite interesting for a, for a Tory prime minister to cite a, a, to cite a kind of new town that might be different to what is immediately in her members or MPs minds when they think about new communities. Um, and she's also talked about the fact that she's, she's behind the incremental expansion of villages so it's a it's an interesting mix of, you know, pro growth um, policies and um, you know, but mixed with um, uh, uh, some policies which are, which at the moment seem essential to uh, to enabling growth, like the um, like the housing targets. Hmm. Seems to me it's growth on the one hand, but very tempered on the other. Um, not uh, uh, a very difficult. Um, moment in time it seems to me for the industry because 
you know, we, we're on our, I think now, 10th, uh, are we Secretary of State or something like that? We've had so many Secretaries of State. Anyway, I, let me just ask you about Simon Clark, our new Secretary of State, um, and um, what you think um, he is, is going to do and what signals he has sent out. Again, I mean, it's a very, um, you know, again, there are sort of mixed signals from him as well. Um, as has been widely reported, he's got a, a quite a recent history of being an advocate of um, relaxing Greenbelt um, uh, in order to deliver uh, one and a half million homes for uh, for younger people around transport nodes. So he's got, he's 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 clearly somebody who's, um, got a very recent history of, of, of making the case for some kind of relaxation of the um, of the planning system, but um, he's being he's being tasked with um, uh, by uh, this trust by making it to make it less easy for for, for pins to override local authorities, um, and uh, you know it's uh, and and he said that um, and he's he's been equally. Um, critical of uh, of the standard method as it as it now is, um, so presumably he's going to make some changes to that. Um, uh, you know, but but he is somebody who talks about in quotes the absolute need for the country to build more homes. Um, uh, you know, and what he's talking about, he, he's talking about um, you know achieving this through incentives, um, and. Uh, and I guess I think that you know that that comes back to uh, you know this other question of you know whether this is is workable. This idea that you can uh, that you um, you you get the house building that's needed by uh, by by offering incentives. Um, uh, you know it, 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 that seems to raise all sorts of questions about. Whether the house the house building goes in the places where people just where the places where people want it politically locally and not in the places where there's the, there's the most pressing need. Although to be fair to um, uh, to Clark, he he has he he does talk about um, you know putting development you know that it needs to go not only where it's where it's where it's wanted but where it's needed. So it's a it's a very um, it's a, it's a very, um, uh, it, it's a, it is, as you say, a real mix of signals. Yeah, it's a mixed bag. Um, and what are you expecting from the new chancellor tomorrow? I mean, you've already mentioned the zone, the, the, the zones. Yeah, well, I, I think that's the, uh, that is the, um, uh, that that's the the big thing that's going to appear mm. in the budget tomorrow, as, as as we understand it. Um, you know, there's been a real consensus about the reporting of what's coming um, so clearly a lot of people have had the same briefing um, and uh, talking about um, these investment zones where there would be and I'd be very interested actually is what people around this table think is whether whether this is actually legally achievable for the government but creating looser environmental pr protections in these zones to encourage development including around environmental assessment habitats protection Neutral neutrality and uh, recreation mitigation zones. So, uh, you know, all the reporting is that they that 
that these um, these zones will re- re- relax rules around around those sort of things um, in order to encourage investment. Also, some talk about affordable housing requirements being scaled back in in those zones, and the incentive part I think is the idea that maybe there can be and maybe this is something that uh, that quasi quarting will will offer a single pot of government funding um, that you need know, that one of the incentives for um, for 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 local authorities or groups of local authorities to come forward for this will be the offer of a sort of loosening up of some of the um, some of the restrictions on different pots of government money. Mm. Um, all very interesting. Um, and I think probably good for consultants, good for lawyers, uh, because clients in an uncertain world need advice. But ultimately, in terms of delivery in between now and the uh, next general election, I fancy it's not going to be great. Um but I, I mustn't be too pessimistic. I'm not a pessimism, uh, pessimistic person by nature. Um, bearing in mind, Richard, your experience, um, you've been, you've witnessed uh, successive different governments. When you've started, um, we were in the land of Labour governments and we had a succession of Labour governments. Uh, you then saw a coalition government and now you've seen a number of Tory prime ministers. And I just wondered what reflections you have um, on how life has changed since 1997, uh, both in, term, in, 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 the ter- in the way policy is made um, and, and also um, the advent of localism. Um, what are your reflections, bearing in mind your experience and your interaction with governments? I, mean, I, I think the um, the thing that um, I remember very much from sort of coming to the sector as a newcomer uh, and to, and to covering a sort of you know this sort of field in um, 1997 was how methodical the development of policy seemed in those days. Um, so I remember. You know, uh, as a lot of people will remember, you know, the Urban Task Force report coming out and then um, that was consulted on and then that was sort of um, refined to produce an urban white paper. And then um, and then, you know, uh, policy changes sort of uh, sort of evolved from that. And it was a very deliberate, um, consultative uh, approach. Um, uh, The argument against it, of course, was it took a a long time and Labour were quite a long way through their first term of office before they actually started to implement policies because they'd taken a long time to um, um, to consult on them. But certainly, I think the uh, my, my very broad um, feeling would be that in the last 25 years, there's been a less deliberate sort of process of consultation in, in, um, in developing government policy. And... Um, and I think also, uh, uh, you know, when you think about something like the Urban Task Force, which had about 100 people on it, um, very much assembled from people who'd worked on the ground in regeneration and local government and planning and so on and so forth, and compare it with, you know, what drives um, policy making now. And um, obviously, you know, now the, the think tanks are incredibly influential in terms of developing planning policy. And you think about the influence in you know, the last 10 years that think tanks like 
policy exchange, you know, for good or for bad, you know, or or or, or create bits of bad. But um, you know, the the um, there is there is now, you know, uh, the extent to which the professional bodies. I mean, I'm sure the professional bodies are still playing a, a, an influential role and uh, and doing their level best to um, to influence policy. And I'm sure they still have many successes. And uh, uh, and uh, but you you sort of feel that the uh, the influence of the uh, of the think tanks has uh, has uh, uh, has just risen and risen and risen. And think tank ideas get translated into um, into policy, you know, remarkably quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so we have an, another layer, as it were, added on. Um, localism? Um, well, I think that the thing you sort of notice about that, and it seems to have become so marked recently, is just the, the um, since the sort of concept was advanced, it's been a very difficult genie to put back in the bottle in the sense that it's uh, it, there are fewer and fewer politicians, it seems, who are willing to say, yes, of course, local people's feelings about development are critical, but they have to be balanced with um, with national need uh, some of the time. And um, th- that's an obvious argument that that um, uh, you, know, you would expect to be raised when, um, for instance, an MP asks the prime minister a question about what the planning inspectorate is, um, you know, why the planning inspectorate is is overruling a, a, a local authority's um, advance on, on something, but um, very rarely is, and um, and therefore I think there's a whole lot of people who don't take a very deep interest in planning, who um, who who just haven't really heard that argument, you know, that there needs to be a balance between local and national priorities. Mm. And do, do governments brief brief you? In the same way that they used to? No, no. I mean that that is something that's definitely changed, and I think that might well be because um, uh, you know because they're they're not as dependent on the um, you know the professional press to um, to communicate uh, what they're doing and why they're doing it. But I mean, very definitely, in, you know, back in the nineteen nineties, early two thousands, when a new bit of government policy was released, you would be called in for a press conference. Um, uh, you know, along with national newspapers, um, you you get a briefing from um, you quite often get a briefing from the minister or the secretary of state, and um, uh, and I think the other thing was that there was a real appetite amongst the uh, the department to explain what they were doing to um, to uh, uh, you know to journalists. So if you rang up and said, "Sorry, we don't understand," you know what the what the rationale is for. I can't remember what you know. You know X, what's correct? Yeah. Exactly. Um, you you would actually you know you, you a press officer would uh, would kind of you know off the record or on background say, well, this is our understanding of it. Um, and this is and this is why it's being done. They might even put you in touch very occasionally with a with a civil servant to sort of explain the detail. And that kind of I, 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 again, I think there's a there maybe a pragmatic view in government that you know. They don't. I, I'm not sure why, but that that kind of um, attempt to sort of win hearts and minds doesn't seem to be prioritised. Yeah, indeed. Okay, I'm going to open this up now. Uh, Chris, what's your question? 
Thank you very much, Mary. Fascinating, Richard, your perspective on the changes in government uh, approaches and, and uh, speaking to journalists and so on. But uh, what I would say is, my question is, planning was intended to help build what the country needed in 1947 after the war. Um, where is it now? What's your view about where the planning system is now? I mean, I think um, my view would be that it was it was designed to. I mean, you know, very broadly, it's designed to, um, uh, you know, build what's what's needed um, uh, within a sort of democratically controlled framework, um, and uh, and obviously the and it's designed to be plan led. Um, uh, you know, in recent years, it has been designed to be plan-led, and we clearly have a real crisis on our hands uh, on that front in terms of uh, planning authorities. You know, we, we, we've been reporting recently that more than twenty in the last twelve months have announced that they're delaying their plans. Presumably, many more are actually going slow while they wait to see what sort of stance government is going to take on things. Um, so we have a a real um, crisis in terms of the forward planning part of the system. Um, I think the system is being adjusted by successive governments to, um, pro, you know, to be more and more of a development management framework, which, um, uh, you know, which sets national rules for, um, uh, for development and maybe more relaxed national rules than, um, than, uh, than, local authorities would um, themselves allow. Um, but, you know, obviously there's, there's, there's a reason for that. Um, I, I think we still always have to balance the, the sort of more pessimistic view of planning. We still have to remember, you know, what a, um, that uh, I, I was mocked once on, uh, I was mocked once for, uh, uh, by, um, uh, by the Reverend Richard Coles at a planning awards for, um, uh, for, uh, for for one of our categories, which is Planning Commission of the Year, which he thought was a highly comical category. But um, actually, a planning permission is a remarkable thing. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, a, well, often it's a, it's a private um, development, you know, proposal that has won, you know, basically the, the blessing of the democratic system. And we still, you know, it is still remarkable, you know, the, the amount of, um, you know, there's not enough development approved every year, but there's a hell of a lot of development approved every year through this democratic system. So, you know, that that needs to be recognised and understood, you know, and and, and valued. But um, but yeah, you know, the, we we have a crisis in terms of forward planning. Thank you very much, Chris. Paul. Um, hello, Richard. Uh, the question I actually want to ask you: is What on earth can I do with? thing of Nescafe gold chocker, some golden syrup and a packet of golden curry cubes on a UV Croydon. But the question I will ask you, you can email me later about it. Um, the question I will ask you is this, and it arises partly from what you were saying about neighbourhood planning and the raising of expectations. And I'm asking you as a communicator, it seems to me that there is a difference between what we as planners and lawyers think in words, we need a regional planning system, we need a means by which to have strategic planning, and 
And, uh, we, uh, but the, the public seem to uh, have told this, this, this uh, notion of localism has been the panacea to planning. So we've got the disconnect, the professionals saying regionalism and the public thinking localism. So how is a communicator? Do we bring the two together? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I think it's... Um... I think it's very hard. Um, uh, you know, I think we need we need political leaders who are um, prepared to make the to make the case for uh, for development. Um, I, I think you know, you know, it 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 does. In you know, we have a, a planning system which which is very frequently blamed for. Um, uh, you know, on the one hand, um, halting development, or, or, or on the other hand, not being sensitive enough to uh, uh, to local wishes, um, it is actually a very powerful tool. That um, that if uh, those who hold the levers wish to use, um, you know, could you know can be made to um, uh, uh, enable a development in you know I think is a, in in a in a in a broadly sort of um, just sort of process, um, but uh, we, we need local and national politicians who are prepared to um, who are prepared to to use those levers and uh, and make some of those kinds of decisions. Couldn't agree more. I said, do, do you know any that might fit that bill? <laughs> oh, we're looking for some actually, and and we we very much welcome suggestions. We'd very much welcome suggestions because you know I think to be fair. What we need is some examples, and, and politicians need to see examples of other politicians who've championed housing need in places where there is a lot of housing need and not suffered for it, because we, we know a lot of politicians who have suffered for it. So we need to get some good examples, and we're looking for that now. We're working on an article like that now, and suggestions would be um, would be very welcome, and, and not suggestions of people who did it in the 90s or 2000s or in Manchester, you know, 15 years ago, but who are, who are in office now and, and thriving, you know, while doing it. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sasha, your question, please. Yes. Thank, thank you, Richard. I'm tempted to ask you. I'm not more than tempted. I might ask you, who do you think the best Secretary of State has been in your time and who's been the worst? But you might feel constrained. If you're willing to answer that, do. But can I ask you, let's look to the future. What What's going to be... What do you see with your very significant experience? What are going to be the big issues over the next two to three years in planning, in your judgment? Uh, well, firstly, on the Secretary of State question, I don't think I can answer who was who was the um, uh, who was the best, but I, I can sort of remember one or two, you know, where I've been, um, you know, where who have been impressive. I mean. Um, I think actually Greg Clark, you know, I think was an impressive Secretary of State. Um, I, I think you know the 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 things that happened to um, the, you know, the, the creation of the NPPF was was an, an achievement. I know there are elements of it that um, uh, you know, like the duty to cooperate, which were um, always criticised and have proved to be uh, ineffective. But in um, and uh, and I know you know the the loss of regional planning was. Uh, was a big loss, although uh, although I'd argue that um, uh, I, I'm not sure how effective it 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 was it was um, it it was at the time, um, and it was a focus for political opposition. Um, but I, yeah, I, I I'm quite impressed by uh, Greg Clark. I, I um, 
Gavin Barwell was a uh, was a a, a, a a pleasure to to interview because he was so open and uh, forthright and courteous. Um, but uh, th- those aren't necessarily, you know, the the only qualities that are required of a, a, a secretary of state. Um, in in terms of, uh, uh, so I'm 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 gabbling because the, uh, the the much harder question you asked me second about what's what's coming up, and um, I mean. I think that you know the the, the the big issue is you know the big issues are can we get momentum behind the local plan making system again? Um, you know can we uh, can we create a uh, a situation where it, it's not seen as so politically disadvantageous to sort of put your cards on the table in a in a local plan that you just rather not do it, and and there's, there seems to be no uh, penalty for not doing it. So I think that's um, you know that's a that's a major issue. I think um, I think obviously uh, uh, planning for infrastructure is a huge issue, um, and uh, there is an opportunity now because of the um, uh, because of uh, I think a renewed sort of keen awareness in. Uh, in society, of the need of the need for energy security, there is. I mean, this this is another area where I think government hasn't acted in the past because where are the votes in um, in in building power stations, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, or, or or allowing wind farms. But um, uh, but now that balance may have changed in terms of what public opinion is. And uh, there is an opportunity now for um, uh, for government to um, to drive that forward, and they've got an incentive to do it as, as an economic stimulus. So you know that 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 might be a big area. Excellent, Richard. Thank you so much for sharing those thoughts at this um, very opportune moment uh, in terms of the new Tory government. Uh, really interesting. Thank you very much. And listeners, don't forget uh, Richard's plea. If you've got examples. Uh, where politicians are thriving, having promoted growth, it would be great to get those across to Richard so that he can include those in his um, planning article. Uh, And I would just like to say now it's time to um, end this show. Thank you very much for your um, participation and your comments uh, in the questions and answers. We'll be back in two weeks and our guest then will be Melanie Leach, from the British Property Federation. Thank you very much and goodbye.